morning. It's good to see you, and I want to thank uh, those of you who've been asking me how I'm doing. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, knee surgery is how God decided to slow me down, but uh, it's been very effective. Uh, but I'm making a quick comeback, so thank you uh, for your prayers and concerns. I'm doing, I'm doing great, coming along quickly, and very excited to be back in the saddle and finishing out this series called Take Off. Um, let me tell you, this series has changed my life, and I hope it has yours as well. It's been so much fun taking Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount and dissecting it into pieces and figuring out what we can, what we can take from it and use in our everyday life to help us experience uh, transcendent living. And I talked a little bit about this weeks ago. I said transcendent living is that which allows us to get over and above the obstacles uh, potentially that others face or that we might grapple with. Uh, if we weren't paying attention to how we live our lives, and, and that it allows us to get farther, faster, and achieve our potential. So that's what we've been talking about, and you probably remember we started out the series talking about attitudes, and there's absolutely no question about the fact that attitudes are so important because lining our lives up with God's trajectory for our life allows us to experience the very best. There's no question about that. And, and God walks us through what are some very, very important attitudes. And you might have been, I don't know if you were like I was, but I always am a little bit uh, taken aback when I read uh, that section of the Sermon on the Mount because I so easily lose track of the attitudes that God says are so important. So that was a fantastic part of the series. And, uh, and then we talked a little bit about relationships, and I had a chance to bring a message on how... how important it is to fix the rifts or breakups or divisions that happen in relationships if it's in our power to do that. Uh, and then dad talked a little about anxiety and worry, which is something that he struggles with and I struggle with as well. And uh, we talked about the truth that anxiety or worry is a non-productive emotion. It doesn't do anything for us. It, does, it can't add to your height. It can't add days to your life. Um, it, it, it's it's a, a non-starter. And so God wants to put us in a more productive frame of mind. Um, and then we talked about prayer. And then last week we talked about um, not missing the most important flight of your life. Most important decision anybody will ever make in their life is where they'll spend eternity. So uh, that was a fantastic talk. This week as we wrap up, I want to talk to you about habits. Uh, and, and the reason that I want to do that is because that's how, kind of, that's how Jesus kind of wraps up the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the divisions of what he's teaching in this sermon, he starts off by talking about attitudes. Then he talks about um, how his standards are higher than uh, man's standards are, and it reminds us how much we need God's grace, uh, for sure. And then he starts to talk about habits and how important they are. And just to give you some examples, he talks about the habit of giving or the habit of generosity, being a generous person. He talks about the habit of, of forgiving, uh, of, of not holding records of wrongs against someone, of, of having the habit of, of being willing to overlook wrongs. Uh, he talks about the habit of praying. We, we touched on that a few weeks ago. Uh, the habit of fasting, the habit of investing in eternity. Remember where Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven uh, where they won't rot and where thieves don't break in and steal. He talks about the habit of focus, uh, the habit of not worrying, the habit of not judging, uh, and then uh, he starts to get into a sequence of habits to talk about self-awareness. And then at the very end, he talks about a habit that he says is more important than all of them and foundational and fundamental, um, and it's the beginning of a new kind of life that he wants us to have. And that's what we're going to spend this morning talking about. And I think it's important that Jesus talks to us about habits because I, I think if I look at my life, I have to admit that, that a ton 
of what I do in life is repetition. My life, in general, is very repetitive. Do you, can you relate to that? Do you feel like so many of the things that you do are things that you just do over and over again? I mean, think about getting out of bed this morning and, and, and getting dressed and, and, and getting ready to come to church and getting in your car and driving and putting on your seatbelt and all the things that you've done a million times, right, that it's re- repetition. And it wouldn't matter if it was today or it was two weeks ago or five weeks from now, you would still do it the same way you did it today because that's just how you do it. It's repetitive, right? So it makes sense that we should focus on habits. There's a guy, a, a researcher at Duke University who studied this. And he said that his research found that over 40%, over 40% of the actions that you take in any given day are not individual decisions but are habits. So that means almost half of your life are things that you do because that's the way you do it, not because you decided to do it that way. So no wonder Jesus is talking to us about habits. I mean, think about this. If, if potentially half of our life is habit-based, then half of the results in our life are the results of those habits, right? We, we could basically say that for a, to a large extent, the results we get in our life are based off of the habits we develop. Fair? I'll tell you how, how, uh, an example of this. This morning, when I, when I got up and I left the house to come here, my car found its way to McDonald's. <laughs> it's very good at finding its way uh, because it's been there many times before. Actually, uh, most days I go to McDonald's for breakfast. Don't ask me why. I go through the drive-thru and I order the, the exact same thing every day. No, I will not tell you what it is. Um, but it's not good for me. I'll tell you that much. Um, so I do this. This is my regular routine. I, you know, I, I, I go to McDonald's, I get breakfast, and then when later on in the day, you know, when I'm getting ready to, at night, I'm getting ready to go to bed, and I step on the bathroom scale, right, I see the results of my habit. You know what I mean? If I want to change the results, I've got to evaluate and potentially change my habit. That's why Jesus is, is going to take us to these deep places of the habits that we have in our life because so many of us are not real happy right now with some of the results we're getting. Truthfully, truthfully. We look at, we look at areas of our life and we're like, yeah, I really wish I was doing better in this area. I really wish I was getting more in this area. I really wish I was doing better with our kids and I'm not really happy with the results I'm seeing with our kids. I really wish I was doing better with finances and I, I look at the check roster and I'm not happy with where, with where we are in finances. I really wish I was doing better in my work life and I just, I'm not happy with those results and Jesus is going to say, okay, if you're not happy with the results, then we need to examine the habits because it is those habits that, that frames those results and so uh, we're going we're to talk a little bit about that uh, this morning and in order to open up that dialogue, we need to talk about two different kinds of habits because it does break down into, in, into two. Uh, one type of habit that we have in our, in our life is instinctive habits, right? These are things that you do because you just learn to do it by doing it. For instance, when you drove into the parking lot and parked your car to come in to this service, you lined up between the lines. I hope you lined up between the lines. Um, and, and as you got your car situated, you got all this hand-eye coordination stuff going on, you're kind of turning in, then you're sort of straightening up, and all those things, when you first started driving, required a lot of brain power. When you first learned to drive, it was a very advanced maneuver. Today, you probably didn't think about it very much. Today, it probably didn't require a whole lot of brain power because it's an instinctive habit. You've done it a million times, and now you just do it the way you do it because that's how you do it, right? 
Just like somewhere in this room, at some point, probably many times in this room this morning, somebody's miniature electronic device will begin to vibrate and, and, and light up or make the ding-dong noise. Hopefully it won't make the ding-dong noise because hopefully everybody's on vibrate. But, um, but what will happen for many of you, and this will not be an insult to me, this is no slight to me, you will immediately reach for your phone and you will look at what's on the screen, not because you made some sort of decision that you needed to do that, but because it is instinctive. You did it because that's what you do. That's how you do it. Right? It's an instinctive habit. And we as human beings are very good at developing instinctive habits, and they make us good at what we do. You know? The reason you're good at your job is because you've developed some very good instinctive habits. The reason that you're good um, at driving is that you've developed some really good instinctive habits. But it can't just be instinct. Because at some point, we have to realize that we may be good, but we're not that good. Think about this. Every day of your life, that's a lot of opportunities to get things right. But it's also a lot of opportunities to make small mistakes that could rob us of the results that we're looking for. So we need another kind of habit in our, in our life, not just instinctive habits. And the other kind of habit I'm going to talk to you about, I'd like to call uh, intentional habits. These are habits that you develop because you need them. Not because you just happen to pick it up because it's how you do things, but because you intentionally said, I got to learn to make this part of my DNA. I got to learn to make this part of how I do things, right? And you develop them in order to sort of calibrate what you do by instinct. It's not to replace your instinctive habits. It's there to guide your instinctive habits along the best pathway. Right? And that's what we're going to be talking about. And I, I just want to say this because there are some of you in this room who would say, you know what, Jonathan, my instinctive habits have kind of taken me down a road I'm not real happy with. You know, And it does. Isn't it true that our instinctive habits do touch just about every area of our life? It doesn't just touch small things like how we watch TV or how we deal with, uh, with our email or how we drive or, or those sorts of things like I mentioned before. It touches on things like how we relate to our spouse, how we handle conflict, how we deal with anger, how we handle emotional expression how we deal with God, you know? So this is kind of important stuff here. We need something that will help us guide those instinctive habits where we want to go. I want to give you an illustration of why these intentional habits are so important. On um, August 16th, 1987, about 15 minutes till 9 p.m., Northwest Flight 255 started doing its takeoff roll down in a runway at Detroit Metropolitan Airport. And people on the ground who watched the takeoff said that when the plane took off, they noticed it was having a real hard time gaining altitude, and the angle didn't look quite right. And they were watching it kind of go from side to side as it was trying to get airborne. And it, it kept struggling to gain altitude so much that as it made it past the end of the runway, it ended up clipping one of its wings on a light pole in a rental car parking lot, shearing off part of the wing, and now the plane is turned way over on its side and the plane ended up crashing on a road outside the airport. There are 149 passengers on board, six crew members, and only one little four-year-old girl survived out of the entire group that was on the flight. So you can imagine, anytime there's a tragedy of this scope, there's all this intense pressure to investigate what went wrong. I mean, good grief, how did this happen? And you've got a plane that's not very old, you've got a crew that's very well-trained and very accomplished and have a lot of flight hours, you, you add up all this, and it just doesn't make sense why this plane would crash. So they're doing this very in-depth investigation. And what they start to discover doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they begin to find out that, as best they can tell, the flaps on the wings were in full retracted 
position when the plane took off. And an experienced pilot wouldn't do that. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, Mike. Uh, uh, he's a very, very experienced pilot and very um, well-versed in flight safety. And he was explaining to me that these flaps on these large commercial airplanes, they, they change the shape of the wing and, and help take off, be much more effective. They help the, the plane gain altitude. They help mitigate the potential for a stall. Um, you know, they help stabilize the plane. There are a lot of things that are going on. He gave me a lot of really advanced explanations that I didn't quite understand, but I did get the fact that you would not want to take off without those flaps pushed out and extended backwards and down. And any pilot who's experienced would know you got to have the flaps down like that or have the flaps extended. But from what they could tell from, from the flight data they were able to piece together and a few other physical signs, it appeared that the, the flaps weren't. So they began to try to investigate why this would be the case, and the cockpit recorder from the airplane turned out to be kind of the, the evidence. Because there was something missing. The pilot and co-pilot, experienced as they were, did not go over the taxi pre-flight checklist. And it's on there. If you look at the pre-flight checklist for an MD-82, from that time frame, pretty close down the list on the, pre, on the taxing pre-flight checklist, the word flaps is there because the pilot and co-pilot are supposed to confirm that the flaps are the way that they should be before the airplane takes off. Now, there were a couple other redundant measures there to try to warn the pilots if the flaps weren't extended, but they didn't work either. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of people making guesswork about why that happened. But at the end of the day, this much we can assume, if the pre-flight checklist had been followed, that crash might have been avoided. Now, the pre-flight checklist, and by the way, this is not for an MD-82, this is for a 727. A pre-flight checklist is not a glamorous part of a pilot's life. It's not sexy. It's not fun. It's not something that you do because you just, you know, learned how to do it when you were becoming a pilot and it's an instinctive thing. It is an intentional habit. You have to do it because you have to do it, right? Because no matter how good a pilot is, I mean, no matter how instinctively smart a pilot is about how to use the side stick and the throttle and all the controls that that pilot has learned to use through motor, motor movements and memory and all of that, He's just still not that good. He needs something to calibrate his instinct. He needs something to put his instinct on the road to success. That is what an intentional habit does. I mean, my heart goes out to that flight crew. I mean, both of them perished in the crash, but it seems like such a small mistake. And I always think about that. Anytime I hear about a, a flight crash because there's some sort of mistake on the part of an air, air traffic controller or, or, or flight crew, I always feel bad for them because the mistakes made are typically so small. This, the kind of mistake I make all day long, which is why you're very happy I'm not a pilot or an air traffic controller, right? But I think to myself, it's such a small mistake, but it has such a huge uh, impact. Because nobody wakes up, no, no pilot wakes up in the morning wanting, wanting or expecting to crash an aircraft. But then again, nobody wakes up in the morning expecting to get a divorce or expecting to take home a pink slip or expecting to end up in an estranged relationship with their kids. See, instinctively, we're good. We're just not that good. We need a pre-flight checklist. We need something that can calibrate our instinct and guide us in the right direction. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about the pre-flight checklist that Jesus wants to give us for how we live our lives so that we can experience the very, very best um, possible. Not just for us, but for the world around us. And, and before I get there, I want to talk about something called a keystone habit. Now, if you're in, if, if you're in the business world, you're, that's probably not a new term to you because it is like top of the buzzwords right now out there in the, in the business world. 
Keystone habit is a term coined, I believe, by Charles Duhigg in his uh, book, The Power of Habit, which, by the way, I don't agree with everything um, uh, Charles Duhigg says in his book, but it's a very thought-provoking and interesting book. Uh, and in it, he talks about keystone habits and how that they are a launching pad or a, it's a good habit that is a launching pad or a basis or a platform for other good habits that tend to piggyback on to this one opening good habit. Let me give you some examples of, of what he says about this. This is a direct quote from his book. Typically, people who exercise start eating better and becoming more productive at work. They smoke less and show more patience with colleagues and family. They use their credit cards less frequently and say they feel less stressed. Here's another one. Making your bed every morning is correlated with better productivity, a greater sense of well-being, and stronger skills at sticking with a budget. So there you go. If you, you, know, if you blew the budget last month, now you know why, right? You weren't making the bed. Start making the bed, right? All your problems go away. No, but I'll give you an example of what a keystone habit is for me. Uh, running is a keystone habit for me. As you can tell, it's going to be a little, <clears throat> little while before I get back to that. But uh, I like to run. I'm ADD, and to be frank with you, some of the best thinking that I do is if, I, is if, I'm, if I'm running and it gives me a chance to, to focus. I don't know why, but it does. And so there have been times where I've really gotten into the habit, the regular habit of running and a routine of that. And um, I find that when I'm running, uh, I crave water which is very unusual for me. It wouldn't be unusual for the average person, but it's unusual for me because I have a tremendous soda pop habit. Right? It's very unhealthy, but I have a sugary soda thing. Uh, I keep the Coca-Cola company uh, in business, and so uh, for me to, to want to drink water is a whole other deal. So I'm running, and I find myself drinking a lot more water, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but if you drink a lot more water, then you crave sugary soda a lot less. And so I find myself n not as interested in drinking the, the sugary soda, and I'm drinking a lot more water. I start to feel better. And then I go to the cabinet where all of our snacks are at our house. Now, in our cabinet, typically, are two God-given manna-from-heaven substances called donut sticks and nutty bars, right? <laughs> now, 50% of the time, I'm in the mood for donut sticks, and 50% of the, the time, I'm in the mood for nutty bars, but you get that that is 100% of the time. You realize we've got it all covered there. But I go to the cabinet, and I, I look at that, and I don't know if you've, if you've ever experienced this, but when you're exercising, and you're drinking a lot of water, and you're staring at boxes of sugary treats, you go, I don't know if I'm really in the mood for that, you know? And you, you, I start eating fruit, and, and healthy stuff, and granola, and stuff that's not normally on my list, you know? And... And, and now I'm starting to feel better, and I'm not taking all this sugar in, so my day is starting to be a lot more stable, and my moods are a lot more stable, and I'm getting better sleep at night, and people around me think I'm in a better frame of mind. You know, but you realize, I didn't start out to do all those things. I didn't start out to drink water. I didn't start out to eat more healthy, and I didn't start out to try to get my, my sleep habits under control. I just started out to go running. But running is a keystone habit, and it will eventually begin to change the framework of your life so that you start developing other really great habits. It's powerful. So here's what I want to tell you. I know this is a lot of lead up, but what I'm getting ready to read you from the scripture is not only an intentional habit, it's something that you will have to learn. It won't just come to you naturally. You will have to learn this, but it's also a keystone habit. And it's not just a keystone habit, it is the keystone habit. It's the, thing that's, it's, thing, it's the thing that starts the chain reaction that God wants us to experience in our life. It's that important. Let me show you how important Jesus says it is. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus said this, or this habit, is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Let's back up for just a second talk about that word essence, right? Because I love that word. When I was in college, uh, I did not read a lot of the large literary works that I was told to read. 
um, because I do not like detail and fluff. I want the bottom line, right? I just want you to tell me what I need to know, right? Which is what my wife has to put up with because you do realize men and women handle this differently, right? Men are like CDs. We can skip to the salient track. We can get to the point. Ladies, on the other hand, they're more like cassette tapes. It's all in chronological order and you have to go through the story to get to the point, right? And so my wife tries to tell me the story. She tries to walk through and tell me, and I'm just saying, please tell me what I need to know to survive in this house tonight, right? I just, I just want... I want, I want the bottom line, I want the point. So I got assigned these huge Shakespearean works that we were supposed to read in college literature, and I'm walking through Barnes & Noble, and I come across something called Cliff's Notes, which is the essence of the very large book that I now get to avoid reading, right? I love getting the essence of something. It makes me so happy. Anybody who can distill something down for me becomes my best friend. Take what is complex and make it in a bite-sized thing that I can, I can get and I can use and I can, make it, I can make it applicable in my life and make it work. So Jesus is saying that this, what this habit he's getting ready to talk about is the essence of the law and the prophets, which would be the majority of the Old Testament that you have in, 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 in your hands, 60 to 70% of the print in the entire Bible. He said, I'm going to boil it down. I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes. I'm going to give you the essence. It's going to be a keystone habit. It's going to be an intentional habit. And if you put this in place in your life, it's going to change everything. Here it is. Matthew 7, verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. Now, most of us learn this as the golden rule, right? This is not news to you. This is not a new phrase. It's not like the first time you've ever heard this. We learned it as the golden rule. I, I don't like calling it a rule because a rule is all about what kind of behavior is acceptable or is not. Jesus is not talking to us about that. He's talking to us about a habit that we need to put in place in our life. Think about this, too. Jesus is not telling us what not to do, right? So notice he doesn't say, don't do anything that you wouldn't want someone else to do to you, which, by the way, is the way most people will quote the golden rule to you if you ask them for it. I, I, I experimented with this a little bit this week. If you ask people for the golden rule, most people will give you the negative form of it. Don't do to somebody else what you wouldn't want them to do to you. That is a passive thing. That is a sit back and just make sure that you don't violate somebody's line that would violate yours if they stepped across it. Jesus is not giving us a passive directive. He's giving us an active directive. He says, do to others what you would like them to to do to you. It's an action. It's a habit. Suppose, think about what your life would be like if tomorrow you woke up in the morning and the very first thing you did is your pre-flight checklist is to orient your instinct, orient your life in this direction. Do to others what you would like for them to do to you. Think, guys, about waking up in the morning and thinking about what you would want if you were in your wife's shoes. Well, if you were in your wife's shoes, what would you want today? How, how would you want to be thought about today? How would you want to be talked to? How would you want to be engaged? Uh, th think about, uh, ladies, think about, think about what would happen if you woke up thinking about that from, day, from, from moment one, when you wake up in the morning, what would I want if I was in my husband's shoes? And both of you, if you were thinking about what would I want if, if I was in my kid's shoes? And it begins to make the whole family dynamic kind of turn on its head because so often in the family, we tend to be in our head and we're concerned about what we deserve and what we should be getting and our expectations that aren't being met. And all of a sudden, God turns that dynamic on its head about, by saying, why don't you just recalibrate to what you would want if you were in their shoes, right? And then you go to, you, you get in your car, you're driving to work, you know, and there's this person who cuts you off in the middle of traffic, you know, and, and, and doesn't even know that they cut you off in the middle of traffic. They're endangering thousands of lives, right, you know, because we tend to exaggerate a little bit and stuff like this, you know. And you realize that because they don't know what they just did, you feel like perhaps God has preordained you to communicate to them what they just did wrong, right? 
And so after all, if, if God didn't want us to use car horns, why'd he put them in the car in the first place? So you think, I'm just gonna lay on the horn and I'm going to in some way communicate to this person what they have just done. And then you have to remember, but wait a minute, I calibrated everything this morning to what would I want if I was in that position. So you gotta ask yourself, if I made a driving mistake and I didn't know that I had made a driving mistake, how would I want someone else to treat me? And then you get to work and you kind of have this thing going with this coworker. This coworker doesn't like you for sure and you don't really love them. And there's this sort of icy tension that's going on between the two of you. You kind of try to avoid each other. And there's sort of like these little jabs that are being traded between you and this other person, you know. And at some point you have to go, but wait a minute, if I were them, what, what would I want? I'm telling you, it changes everything. It changes the way that you in, interact with people when you go to the store, when you go to the restaurant, when, you, when you're talking to clients, when you're working with customers. It begins to change your entire outlook. It is that kind of habit. It shakes everything up. So let's talk for a second about this question. By the way, you, this is more than you want to know, I feel sure, but when I get ready to preach on a, on a topic, the very first thing I do, I have my piece of paper out there, and first thing I do is I write uh, what I like to call the hard question. Because I feel like it's our responsibility as, as a communicator to ask the hard questions and to come up with the best answer that we can. So I wanted to ask the hard question. And for me, on this topic, it's very simple. If we all agree with the golden rule, and I, have, I find it very hard to find somebody who doesn't agree with it. If we all agree with the golden rule, then why doesn't it permeate our society? A decent question. If we all, if we all believe that this is the way things should be, then why aren't things that way? And I, I thought of a couple answers, and we'll go through this, and then we'll, we'll kind of be done for this morning. But I think one of the reasons why people really struggle with this habit is because they feel like it will turn them into a doormat, that they'll be used by people, and that they will lose their identity. Man, I, in, in my couple's coaching work these days, I feel like I hear that a lot. People are worried that they'll, they'll be, their, their identity will be taken from them by somebody because they'll give so much and, and not receive anything in return. Well, there's a risk there, but let me just tell you that Jesus will never put you in, he will never put you in danger of that. There are relationships that would put you in danger of that, but your relationship with Jesus is not like that. Notice what he says. He does not say you should never have expectations in relationships and it's not okay for you to want things in relationships. He didn't say that. That would be a doormat lifestyle. He just said, look, go to your file drawer, take out the folder that is your expectations of everybody else. Find that folder where you've written down all the things that you think people ought to do for you and just make sure that you're ready to apply everything that's in that folder to everybody else around you. Jesus didn't say you can't have expectations. He just said make sure that you're ready to apply the expectations that you have to everybody, not just, not just to you. So Jesus is not saying we should be a doormat. Never, never, never. Jesus will never call you to lose your identity. He gave it to you in the first place, right? But somebody would say, well, Jonathan, that may be true, but I've got you on this one. I have you pegged, and you can't escape the fact that it is true that if I do this for other people, they will not do it in return. Most people will not reciprocate if I do this, and on that, you have me. It is true. That's exactly right. Most people will not reciprocate if you do this. But to be fair, a keystone habit is not about what you can get someone else to do for you. That would be manipulation. A keystone habit is about what you have the potential to become. It's, it's about who you can be. And beside all of that, and this is much more important, they're not the ones who are going to compensate you for this anyway. Check this out. Luke chapter 6. This is basically Luke's rendering of the same passage that we've been looking at in Matthew. Luke says, do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Notice that word credit. We're going to come back to that. Uh, and if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? 
Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. So Jesus is saying, yes, you will not get reciprocation and most of the time when you do this. Then your, then your reward from heaven, notice where Jesus says the reward's coming from. Your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be truly acting as a child of the most high. So here's what I learned a long time ago. I was working at a part-time job. I was a teenager. I, had a, I, was, I was just picking up a few hours working at this business. It was a family-owned business here in Wichita. And um, I, I was in a situation where I had a boss and a big boss. Have you ever worked in a situation like that? You have your boss, but then there's the big boss. And I had a new boss, and he wanted to reorient our department, shift a bunch of things around, change everything up. And he asked me if I'd come in and help with that. So I came in on a day where I wasn't supposed to work, and I did a lot of hard work moving things around and helping everything get situated. And, and um, the big boss came in and looked everything over and said, wow, this looks really great. And to his credit, my new boss said, well, Jonathan did most of this, you know. And the big boss said, well, are you going to do something nice for him for all this work that he just did? And, and my boss said, oh, yeah, 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 I've got him, I've got him covered. I'm going to take care of him. And I'll never forget, the big boss looked at me and he said, is he going to take care of you for all this work that you did? And I said, oh, yeah, he, he said he's going to take me out to lunch or something. And I'll never forget, the big boss turned around, started walking back towards his office, and I heard him mutter under his breath, I was thinking more like a bonus check. So I learned this lesson. You should never allow yourself to be compensated by the boss when you could be compensated by the big boss. <laughs> right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that this is not a habit that we do to be compensated by the other person because we're going to get compensated by the big boss. And notice that Jesus said, he didn't just say, I'm going to reward you for what you do. He says, your reward from heaven will be great. And Jesus is, is not into exaggeration. That's not his gig. So when Jesus says it is a great reward, that's exactly what he means. But there would be somebody probably in this room who would say, you know what, Jonathan, um, this getting paid back thing is not really my hang-up. That's not really the thing for me. Because for me, the reason that I struggle with this habit is that it's overwhelming to me. It feels like too much. If I were to try to think about doing for the other people in my life what I would like for them to do to me, it, it just it seems like I'll never be able to live up to that. I'll never be able to accomplish that. So whenever I think about it, I just end up getting discouraged, and then I just sort of fall back into those same old instinctive patterns that I've been in before. And, and uh, so that's my problem. That's where I get stuck. Let me read you this story from Luke chapter 10, verse 33. And this is a familiar story. Jesus is talking about teaching the story of the Good Samaritan. Even people who have no church experience, aren't familiar with the Bible, they know this story. You've got this, this guy who's walking this treacherous road, uh, and he gets robbed and beaten up by these thieves who are on the road, gets left there for dead. A couple religious types walk by. They should have helped, but they didn't. Now the Samaritan's coming along, and the scripture says a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Notice that the way that the Samaritan is helping is by helping with what he has with him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Here's the reason why I'm reading this story to you. Duig says a lot in his book about power of habit, but one of my favorite things that he talks about is something he calls small wins. He says keystone habits build small wins. And he said they, they tend to stack up one on another, and that's what builds the big success. And so if you look at a, a director from Jesus like do for others what you would want them to do for you, it can seem too much. It can seem like a huge big thing. 
But what we need to do is we need to look for the small wins and start building on that. So like the Good Samaritan, the call that Jesus is making is for you to use what you have to do what you can for the person that he sends to you, right? So don't think of it in terms of this huge, impossible thing that you can't accomplish. Just start by using what you have with you to do what you can for the person that God sends you. That's a small win, but ultimately they start to stack up and they start to put you in the right frame of mind to push your instinct in the right direction to get the results that you're looking for. There's a story that my dad loves to tell, but I'm going to tell it and steal it right out from underneath his nose. That um, there's this little boy walking along the, the, the beach one day and, and uh, it was a season where for some reason the tide was washing in all these starfish, hundreds, maybe thousands of starfish, getting washed up on the, on the shore. And then the tide would recede and it would leave these fish, or the starfish, on the beach and they would die and bake in the sun. And, and this little boy just couldn't have that. So he was walking around finding these little starfish that had washed up on the shore and grabbing them and tossing them back into the ocean. He'd been doing this for a while. There's an older gentleman standing off to the side watching this for a while, and he kind of felt sorry for this kid because he thought, you know, he's sort of wasting his day at the beach. He should be having fun. He should be playing. And so the older gentleman walked up to him and said, son, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of starfish here, a lot. And he said, I don't think you're going to be able to keep up. And he said, uh, you know, you should be playing and having fun. I mean, do you, do you really think that what you're doing here is making a difference? A little kid reached down, picked up another starfish, threw it into the ocean and said, well, it made a difference for that one. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. Make a difference for the person that you can. Start where you can. Start with the person God sends you, which, by the way, husbands, your wives will qualify. Wives, your husbands will qualify. Parents, your kids will qualify. Folks, our coworkers qualify. Anybody that God sends to our life, and we begin to feel compassion for them, like, like the Good Samaritan felt compassion for the person that he saw on the road. It should be that thing that motivates us to get going, to move, to do for them what we would want done for us. It's a huge thing. It's a keystone habit. It's an intentional habit. You'll not do this automatically. You will have to learn to do this. You will have to wake up every morning and, and take out the pre-flight checklist and make sure that you're orienting your day in that direction. But I promise if you do, it won't just change your life. It'll change your world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about the life that you've given us, given us the capacity to live. And I just pray that... Um, as we try to imitate you and try to follow your example, that we would touch lives by broadening our expectations, not just to ourselves, but having expectations for the well-being of others. Father, I pray that you would motivate us to reach out to those who are hurting, motivate us to, um, to act on the behalf of those who are being mistreated, motivate us to step out and to do that which is called for in the moment, to be brave, to be the person who gives generously and loves uh, with a deep heart. Thank you for the honor of living up to the journey that you've assigned to each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Next week we start a brand new series.